Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, we've been talking. We started uh, earlier on in the program talking about the Celtics and the situation that they're in. Who better to talk about the NBA and all things concerning basketball than our buddy Chris Mannix. Hey, Chris, how are you? What's happening, fellas? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, at this point, is Brad Stevens going to be in for some of the first real criticism of his Celtics tenure? I mean, the short answer is yes. Um, you know, up until this point, he's you know, you know taken a place among the NBA elite coaches. But up until this point, he's kind of coached the underdog teams, the, the teams with not low expectation necessarily, but tempered expectations. This is the first year where there have been outsized expectations, and this team has failed to meet them. There, there certainly uh, appears to be locker room chemistry issues. There are obviously on-court chemistry issues. And, you know, we, we spent four years, guys, praising Brad Stevens, deservedly so. I, I still believe he's one of the best head coaches in the NBA. But, you know, when, when you get the praise, you, the criticism comes with it. What's the Brad Stevens-Kyrie Irving relationship like? I think it's fine. I don't think it's as... Look, one of the reasons that Brad Stevens has developed such a strong rapport with the likes of Isaiah and Evan Turner and Jay Crowder and so many guys have come through here is that they have been you know, average to above-average players that Brad has elevated to a higher level. I mean, Kyrie Irving came to Boston already at the highest of levels. He's an all-NBA point guard. And while I think there's a healthy amount of respect between the two, and certainly a lot of conversation that goes on between the two, it's just not the same situation, really, as any player that Brad has coached uh, before. All that being said, I mean, you know, Kyrie has seen just how good an X's and O's coach that he is. He's seen what happened in the playoffs last year when the Celtics made their run and Brad's contributions to it. So, I think it's strong. I just don't think you can compare it to any of the other relationships because of what Kyrie was coming in. We had this argument earlier on in the program where I said the Celtics were a better team last year than what they've been so far this year. How stupid is that? Yeah, it's crazy. I think they just had, I mean, they just had better chemistry last year. And everybody kind of knew their roles and embraced their roles. And I do think having you know, lower than, than normal expectations going into the postseason, even as a high seed, uh, benefited them. You know, they, they still were kind of this upstart team led by a whole bunch of young players with their two superstars uh, on the sideline. But they just, they played together. And, you know, the ball moved and everybody knew, you know, who the top offensive option was. Most nights that was going to be Jason Tatum. Uh, Terry Rozier knew he was going to get 35 minutes a night as a starting point guard. Al Horford was the glue guy, kind of putting it all together. Uh, they, they just seemed to be really comfortable, you know, playing, uh, you know, with each other. This group, you know, not so much. And, you know, every time we think we have a bead on what this team is, you know, December, eight-game winning streak, all right, they start to turn it around, then they stumble over the holidays. You know, the month of January, 10-1 and one at home uh, during that stretch, they figured some things out. These last two games, blowing 18, you know, 20-plus point leads, 
to inferior teams, it just every time they take two steps forward, they take one big step back, and it's pretty hard to explain. Now, Marcus Morris's comments were obviously pretty damning over the weekend, talking about how you know they're not having any fun, and you know you look around the league and other teams are having fun. Guys on the bench are rooting for each other, and somebody even followed up. You might have even been there. Somebody followed up about well, when you guys won ten out of eleven, was that fun? And he wouldn't even give you that. He was just like, nah, it hasn't it hasn't been fun here. So what what does that say about the, the you mentioned chemistry already, but it seems like this group certainly does not enjoy playing together. Yeah, you know, at times from from where I sit, at times it seems like there's just almost a competition between the veteran players and the younger players. And we've seen it kind of manifest itself in in some dust-ups. Jalen Brown has been involved in some and and look, every time there is, you know, something goes wrong, I mean, Marcus Morris took it to a different level, but how many times after games that they've struggled have we heard effort? And how many times have we felt like that's been a veteran player targeting one of the young players? And I think that's, that's kind of increased the divide within the locker room. I don't think that they, I don't think they don't like each other. I just think there are a lot of guys in different places in their careers and they're all trying to do different things. Plus, you have Gordon Hayward, who is, you know, trying to find his way while trying to find his rhythm at the same time. It's just a very kind of discombobulated bunch that's inside that Celtic locker room. Let's put you in uh, the unfair position of putting your, yourself in the shoes of Brad Stevens. Short term, what can you do? Uh, I don't know. He, he's talked about shaking up the lineup. I, I don't know if that's going to work. I mean, I thought what they did in was it November, December, you know, moving Jalen Brown out. Uh, moving Marcus Morris and and Smart into the lineup that that was the right thing to do. You brought two guys in that that don't need shots. And over the last couple of look, we we can't we can't dismiss what they did in January. I mean, what they did in January was pretty impressive. Putting together wins. Jalen Brown had his best month of the season in January. Everybody seemed to be on the same page. And you know, frankly, when when Aaron Baines goes out, that that's become problematic for this team because he's another one of those guys that rebounds, defends doesn't need the ball, just sets monster screens. That's the type of guy they need to have uh, in their rotation. So I, I don't think you shake too much up. I think you just got to hope that, you know, you come up with a win, you know, in Philadelphia on Tuesday, maybe give yourself some momentum, and then after the All-Star break, you can get back to playing like the team we saw in January. Yeah, I was going to say, they got at Philadelphia, at Milwaukee, at Toronto all this month. Yeah. And, you know, not that they're at any kind of risk of, of missing the playoffs, but how important could seeding be for this team? We saw the difference last year. I know Kyrie was hurt, but home and road was certainly very different for this team. Oh, it, it's monstrous. I mean, you know, the last couple of years, I mean, think about where this team would be if it didn't have home court advantage in, in a handful of rounds. Um, you know, last year they probably lose in the first round uh, to Milwaukee. A couple of years ago they probably lose to Washington if they don't have home court mm-hmm. advantage in that second round. I mean, every year they've relied – on that garden floor in Game 7, the energy that, that, that comes with it. and It's even more significant now, guys. I mean, you look at the numbers. Every time they go to Toronto, they get walloped. Like it's, uh, last season, it wasn't even close. It was like 19 points per game they lost by when they went up to Toronto. I mean, Philadelphia, you know, we can talk about what they've done, but I, you know, watching them yesterday, they're downright scary offensively. And, and Milwaukee, you know, people will tell you they're probably the best team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they, this is a team that badly needs to string together some wins and get as high as that number two seed. I mean, if you can get the number two seed and get yourself home court advantage in the second round, I think you give yourself a shot of getting to the finals. If you don't, you become an underdog as soon as that second round starts. 
Let's look at things a little more league-wide right now because uh, the NBA has itself a mess in New Orleans. Anthony Davis, uh, through his agent, says basically he wants out. He's made it very clear that there's only a team or two that he would even consider being traded to, but he wants to be traded to one of those two teams. Now the question is, are they going to play him? Are they not going to play him? It's a $100,000 per game fine if uh, if you violate the, the NBA's anti-resting policy, and yet they sat him out for the whole fourth quarter of a game the other day doing just that. Yeah, this has become... The last week, I've seen some biblically bungling of things across the NBA. I mean, it, it just... From the trade demand that didn't need to be made public to... Dell Demps in New Orleans just basically sending Magic Johnson a voicemail for an entire week and and, and all the fallout from all this. And, and the trickle-down is like, you know, now here comes Chandler Parsons. He's got to go back to Memphis because everybody across the league was calling saying, you let this guy go home, you know, for a month. Why are you letting that happen? So it, this has just been a mess that the NBA has no idea. It, it, their, their opinions on all this change almost by the day in that league office. And look, I don't fault New Orleans of this at all. Like the Pelicans, you know, they knew, they knew Anthony Davis was not signing an extension. They, they knew that, especially as this season started to derail in November, December, they knew that they were going to have to trade him. But, you know, having their hand forced has created such a mess out there. And now, you know, they just went through this last year with DeMarcus Cousins tearing his Achilles. They know the importance of Anthony Davis and what he could bring back to their franchise and a potential trade in terms of players and draft picks. I mean, I wrote this before. Anthony Davis is Herschel Walker. Like, he has the ability to turn that franchise around if they trade him and get the right package back. Why in the world would they want to play him? Look, if Anthony Davis has the quote-unquote right to say he wants to be traded out of New Orleans sooner rather than later, I think the Pelicans have the right to say, we're not going to play him. We've got to protect our investment. I think the NBA needs to do a circle back on this, or else Anthony Davis needs to come up with a, a nice case of plantar fasciitis to yeah. keep him out for the rest of the season. Do you think he ends up in Boston next year, around July, when all is said and done? It's just it's so hard to predict right now. I mean, all things being equal, yes. But if the Celtics stumble, fall in the first round, the Knicks get Kevin Durant, the Knicks get the number one pick. Look, I, I was saying as, as, as early as late June last year that the Knicks were a scary team for the Celtics in terms of the courtship of, uh, of Kyrie Irving, and, and they remain that way. I mean, it was one thing when they were the gang that couldn't shoot straight with, with a, a malfunctioning front office. They still kind of do have a malfunctioning, you know, upper level of the front office with James Dolan, but if they can somehow get Zion and Kevin Durant, I mean, that's it, it, it yeah. might be tough to retain Kyrie that way. But if this team makes a run and, and, and Kyrie decides to stay, you know, Kyrie becomes a recruiting tool. I mean, it, it's not it, – it's real that those two want to play together. Like, that. that's a real thing. That, uh, that they've talked about in the past. So if Kyrie stays and he becomes a recruiter, I-, I think it's more likely than not Anthony Davis is in Boston. It feels like this sort of started in Miami with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but this whole idea of players basically deciding, I want, to pl- I want this guy, I want that guy, I want that guy, hasn't this become just in all-encompassing a disaster for the NBA anyway? Sort of. You know, everything you're saying is true. Along the same lines, I mean, the league loves that they're a soap opera. Like, they, I mean, they, there are certain things they don't want, like this Davis situation spiraling. But do you think, I don't think they mind, you know, Anthony Davis and, and, and trade season getting in the way of the Super Bowl. Like, I think they're kind of happy to take some of the shine away from the NFL. And they've kind of embraced, you know, being a transaction heavy league. 
Um, so I, I think that, that they're okay with parts of it. The, the thing they're not, like, one of the side notes in all this is that, you know, the, the Lakers have become just, just the team that nobody wants to deal with. And part of that's Magic Johnson. Like, yeah, hmm. there, there are a lot of people that believe Magic Johnson has been tampering with Anthony Davis. And then Magic goes out yesterday and says that Ben Simmons wants to learn how to play, you know, be a big guard, wants big guard secrets. So he's going to check with the league to see if Ben Simmons, also represented by LeBron's agent, can work, can work with him this summer. Like, the Lakers have become kind of this, this, this toxic toxic team that nobody wants to deal with because everybody thinks they're tampering with their players. And then didn't Magic and the Lakers say that the Pelicans weren't dealing in good faith when it came to all the trade yeah, rumors? I mean, they're well, trying that, to... that's, that's just, I mean, that's just dumb, too. Like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I can picture Del Demps. You guys remember, like, the George Costanza voicemail. Like, believe it or not, right. Del isn't at home. <laughs> right. like, I, I'm, I'm not thinking that's what he was doing the entire time. I, I said on Monday of, of this past week they were never going to trade... Uh, Anthony Davis before the deadline, and mm. you know I don't know what good faith means. Like you know, it, it's not their. They didn't respond, and it's not their responsibility to respond. They don't have to trade, you know, the Lakers, uh, you know, their best player if it doesn't make any sense to them. And and every logical uh, conclusion is that it doesn't make any sense to them. Now, as it stands right now, it's February 11th, so there's a ton of season left to be played. But who would be your pick to win the East? I, I love Milwaukee right now. I do. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that they're a great regular season team that maybe isn't as equipped to win the playoffs. Mike Budenholz certainly doesn't have a great track record uh, in the postseason, but everything they have done is exactly what you want a team to do when your star is Giannis. Like, they have just put shooter after shooter around him. And when you can clear that much space for Giannis, he is impossible to stop going downhill. Uh, you know, they're, they're always going to have the best player on the floor in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, and with home court advantage, they're going to be that much tougher. So uh, I lean towards Milwaukee, but, you know, whoever has momentum at the end of the year, guys, is going to be, it's going to be big. And that's why I think Boston still has, has a chance to get back in this. If they can get some of their stuff right over the next couple of months, they still have more than enough talent to be the top team in the East. Final question for me. You wrote about this earlier today. Why is Russell Westbrook not being considered more as MVP when he's about to average a triple-double for his third consecutive year? I don't know, man. Like this, it, it just occurred to me after you know, watching him play the Rockets on Saturday, and he tied Will Chamberlain for the most consecutive triple-doubles in a season. He's about to do for the third time something that, that it was like Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. It was, it, it, you know, name your impossible record to eclipse, and Russell Westbrook is about to do it three straight times. He's incredibly inefficient this season. His shooting numbers are way down from what they've been in years past. That's kind of a byproduct of you know a knee surgery early in the season and a really nasty ankle sprain that he dealt with in November. But I mean, we're going to look back, you know, ten, fifteen years from now when somebody, maybe it's Ben Simmons, maybe it's somebody else, averages a triple double in a season, and then we're going to go, well, Russell did it for three straight seasons. I think we're going to have a greater appreciation for all things Russell Westbrook when his career is over. Always appreciate the time, Chris. Thank you. And uh, you said the NBA doesn't mind soap opera. They still got one here in they, Boston. They got one. <laughs> yeah, and they love it. They love every minute of it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You got it, guys. Take care. That is uh, Chris Mannix joining us, talking about the Celtics and the NBA. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.